Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Solo BG Podcast. This is Derek, and this is episode number 94. I'm very excited to be here with you in another special one in our series that we started actually last episode where we record an interview with my friend Mark Dainty from Noteboard Gaming. We started with this series of episodes where I'm going to bring you uh, usually a special guest, which is usually going to be somebody from the from the industry, right? One of the one of our hobby celebrities, I guess. Uh, it could be content creators, it could be game designers, it could be publishers. Like in this episode, that we have a mix of those two. We have a very special episode, like always, but this is even more special because, as you could read on the title, we're gonna talk about two games. Uh, one of them is a Kickstarter preview. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the game, the gameplays, the mechanics. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about the art, the components that I got from the from the review copy, which once again is a prototype copy. Uh, and it's a game by uh, Debbie Tercy and Norley Lovers. And I'm talking about Prison Architect, the Cardboard County Penitentiary, which is based on an app game, which I actually love and enjoy a lot. Uh, and also the second part of the show uh, we're going to talk about Red Rising from, um, uh, of course, Stonemaier Games, which, big disclosure there, they sent me a review copy. But not only we're going to talk about the game, also we have a recorded interview with Jamie Stegmeier. You know, he's the CEO, designer, publisher, you name it, from Stonemaier Games, uh, which, of course... They're very famous from the other games, particularly one that is on my top 10 uh, favorite games ever, which is Scythe. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear me talk about it on the, on the interview. I had a blast. This interview was recorded back on March, about two months ago. We are recording uh, on May. I always forget the date that I'm recording. Let me check right now before we start with the episode. Today or this evening, it's Sunday, May uh, the 16th of 2021. Uh, this interview was recorded on March 2021, so we talk about the weather, we talk about, uh, you know, his cities in Louis, Missouri, and of course, like we did with Mark Dainty, uh, we go over his uh, five favorite games ever, and between the the uh, questions, you know, in be- between the games, uh, more questions ca- came up and different topics and stuff, so you're going to hear us talk about it. I actually got to recommend him a solo game as well, so check that out. So with that being said, we have a long episode ahead of us. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can, uh, you know, uh, be relaxed, chill out. If you're driving, well, I hope you enjoy, enjoy your drive. If you're on the subway, if you're on the train, I hope you enjoy it as well. If you're at home, I hope you enjoy it as well. So with that being said, let's start like always in three, two, one. Welcome to Solo BG, your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez. Okay, so we are ready to start episode 94. And usually, usually if this is the first time in the podcast, well... Uh, of course, welcome. Usually on this part of the episode, I tell you which games I've been playing, you know, what I've been up to, uh, which Kickstarters probably I have back recently. But because this is going to be an extended episode and we're going to talk about two games, well, I think I'm going to save that for another episode. And that way, you know, I can bring more games 
to future episodes. But like I mentioned, and as you can read on the title, we're going to talk, one of the games that we're going to talk about on this uh, episode is going to be Prison Architect, uh, the Cardboard County Pen uh, Penitentiary, which, by the way, big disclosure as well, uh, it was sent to me, uh, a review copy, very nice from our friends from PSC uh, and Paradox um, you know, Interactive, well, I guess it was more PSC than Paradox Interactive. But anyway, I really appreciated this enemy. Basically, a brand new game, which, of course, is stayed on the back of the box. This is a, a demo copy, not for sale. So, unfortunately, I cannot either give it or sell it or anything like that. Not that I want to sell it, but I cannot give it. So, that's the unfortunate part. But, uh, actually, this is a game that I'm looking forward to back myself. So, spoiler alert, they're already, you know falling into my thoughts of the game. Uh, this game, by the way, talking about backing, will be live on Kickstarter on May 18. May 18, save the date, because Prison Architect will hit on Kickstarter. Probably by the time you're listening to this episode, the game is already on Kickstarter. If that's the case, check it out. Go to the Kickstarter uh, you know, page and uh, look for Prison Architect, Cardboard County Penitentiary. And I think this is a game that you need to check out because, once again, I had... I really enjoyment, uh, you know, faces, <laughs> if you want to call it, while it was while it was on my table, and I'm gonna tell you all about it. Now, the components of this game, of course, um, they're prototype, which anyway, they're very good quality. I mean, you have nice meeples, you have nice wooden tokens, you have nice cardboard, uh, you know, um, tiles because it's a tile placement game. But it has some cool mechanics that I'm going to tell you more about when I explain you how the game plays. Now, this game has a lot to offer. I will tell you right off, right off the bat. has a lot to offer, but um, you know, I'm going to try to share with you an idea of how it plays. Of course, I'm not looking to give you a tutorial of the game because I'm pretty sure a lot of amazing uh, content creators on YouTube are already working on that. And once the game comes out in production, uh, they're going to be doing that as well. But here, I want to, you know, share my thoughts with you and tell you, give it or take how it plays, you know, in that way you can get an idea of why you're getting into it. And of course, I will recommend you at the end if you should back it or not, which I already told you a little bit of a spoiler alert there uh, before we actually start to talk about the game. Uh, so let's start with Prison Architect, game number one of this show. This is a game, once again, designed by David Tersey. And Norley Lovers, I hope I pronounced it correctly, or Lubbers, Lovers, I guess, that's great. Uh, Norley and David, they are designers of Prison Architect, and it's published by PSC and Paradox Interactive. Right off the bat, the, the art of the game is fantastic, because it's basically the same art, a very similar app, very similar art, I'm sorry, to the app. I guess that was the mix of words. So, uh, you know, sometimes I really appreciate uh, that when a game is based on a video game, or when a, a game is based, uh, you know, in this game, in this case, in an app game, I really appreciate when the designers and the publishers and the project managers and all the people behind try to translate, you know, or, or, or bring everything that you find on the digital version to the table. And you had to start somewhere, of course. And when you start with the art and you make it similar or almost the same, I think that's great. I actually love it. Now, I have talked in the past that, you know, there's some games, some card games especially, that they're based on movies that sometimes, sometimes I prefer more like, a, you know, drawing art or like comic art, if you want to call it. But in this case, when it's video games or app games, I usually tend to enjoy 
the the art when it's like almost the same. So in person architect, right off the bat, the box, and you can see it on pictures on my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Solo BG Podcast. You can look at the pictures there because they are already there. Uh, prison architect, the, basically this big 12 by 12 standard size blue box when all these uh, little guys there, all these prisoners, uh, you know, coming to you. And then, of course, you have a, a, a ward there, a chief police there, and the architect of the penitentiary, which in this case is going to be you, or is, it was me while I was playing this game. This is a game that it can be played one to four players, so that's a big plus. Of course, when you see the designer David Thursday on the box, you know that he's going to have a solo mode. And yes, indeed, he has a solo mode that I will tell you more about it. And he has a very um, cool... AI way that he, you can see that is the seal of David Tursey. You know, David Tursey, um, you know, his his AI games, usually the ones that he don't design completely, you can see his seal on how the AI works. For example, comes to my mind, Sierra West, when you have a deck of cards and you're revealing and the AI is telling you what to do. Well, similar kind of-ish here on, on, on Prison Architect, but once again, you can get the seal, which is something good because David Tursey, I mean, come on, on the Euro solo gaming atmosphere, he's probably, you know, one of the best there. So that's that's good. Um, the box is completely blue. I don't know if this is going to be the final art, but if it is, hey, it looks fantastic. Uh, Prison Architects, even the, the letters are very thematic, I guess, if you want to call it. Then on the sides of the box, of course, you get the name, you get the designers, you get the publishers, and all that stuff. Now, on the back of the box, it's very interesting as well because they throw you more of the same art, which is cool. Once again, this is a prototype version of the game. And build and manage a maximum security prison. In Prison Architects Cardboard County Penitentiary, one to four wardens compete to create the best and most efficient prison the governor could possibly imagine. So we're trying to make the governor happy and we're trying to help you know at the end of the day and it depends on the on in which country you are in some places i mean the penitentiaries or jail they're not the same as uh, other places so in some places i have seen some documentaries where prisons are also a place that inmates can can be happier you know can can they can basically learn stuff and, and try to go back to society, but in a happy way. So here at the same time, we're trying to get our inmates to be happy. Now, uh, you know, simultaneously, you will bid on rooms. It's going to have a bid phase that I will tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, you're going to bid rooms, staff, and, and, and policies, with which expand your uh, prison and manage your prisoners' needs and keep them secure. Add tiles to your prison by paying attention to the individual's requirements and scoring conditions to each uh, tile that each tile offers. Uh, decide how many and how dangerous prisoners to accept before committing to either increasing demands in the objectives phase. He's going to have an objectives phase that will tell you more about it as well. Will you focus on the on making the most cash out of a prison? Will you have rehabilitate and release your prisoners or keep them locked down for as long as possible? How many objectives do you dare to commit yourself to? Will you build sprawling prisons filled with inmates or focus the most dangerous convicts to earn your reputation as a lean supermax? Uh, the choice is you, my friend Warden. And like I said, this is a prototype copy that I that I um, received. And I will tell you more about the game in a little bit. With that being said, let's jump and let me tell you what did I found inside the box. Inside the box. Okay, so inside the box of Prison Architect, what I found is a bunch of cardboard tiles. You get a bunch of cardboard tiles, uh, you know, which they will have the different rooms that you can build on your prison. For example, you have the showers, you have the yard, you have the common room, you have the workshop. 
you have also the laundry, the visitation, um, the counselor. You also have the kennels. You have the armory. You have the exports. You have the guard tower, the reception. You have many, many, many other titles that I will be telling you. Let's see here. You also have the library, classroom, mail room, uh, cleaning. Uh, what does it say here? Cleaning cupboard, the infirmary, the counselor again. Then you have the bunk cell, the locker rooms. And different tiles that you're going to be getting during, especially the bidding phase, because that's where you want to get the most uh, tiles in the different rooms on the prison. You're also going to have different levels uh, of inmates or, 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 or prisoners. Uh, you know, they will give you different victory points, where, of course, the higher the victory points, the more dangerous the inmate is. So you you want to make sure that you <laughs> you can contain them. Uh, you also have to have some... Uh, Police, um, little guys there that they're gonna help you to protect your your uh, your prison. You're gonna have the the of course the medical staff. You're gonna have the the workers there. So many many different guys that you will be able to recruit on the game. Also on the game, you're gonna get a lot of cards. A lot of cards. Some of them are gonna be the AI, and I'm open here the Ziploc bag again. Some of them are gonna be the AI um, cards that you're gonna use for the solo game, and some others are gonna be power cards or object objective cards that you're gonna be able to do during your game. So, um, just for example, let me get some here with you. Uh, you're gonna get the resettlement scheme, the extra grand. You once again the AI deck. You're gonna get the cooks. So you're gonna get different objective cards that you will be able to perform during the game and and that's it that's basically all the stuff that you can put on that i get on the prototype of course a lot of wooden tokens you're going to get some dice as well that you're going to be rolling at some point um you're going to get uh some uh wooden tokens that will allow you or they're going to be helping you as a resource and they will represent the money that you have during the game you're going to have also different tableaus different personal tableaus that you are going to be using for every player to keep your stuff secretly from the other uh, wardens and also you're going to get this nice uh what is it called like a like a foiled barrier i guess like a little uh you know cardboard barrier that you're going to put in front of your tableau and it will also uh show you on facing you of course every single face of the game all the iconography and stuff the effect icons the tags that you're going to be using and on the other side of them they will have different colors because you can be the green warden you can be the blue warden you can be the um, red warden or the yellow warden so there you go you can knock yourself out with your favorite color there and with that being said that was what we found inside the box let's see because we already talked about the box and cover at the beginning i already told you the inside the box let me go and tell you on the next section how the game plays, an idea, once again, this game has a lot to offer, but let me tell you very basically what these games offer, uh, your enjoyment or kind of the idea of, of trying to bring you the enjoyment of this game, because once again, I mentioned it, this is a tile placement game, but is it only a tile placement game? I guess that's the question, so let's go and see how the game plays. Game plays! Okay, so now we are about to immerse in this prison architect, Cardboard County Penitentiary. Once again, I want to throw a quick remind reminder. May 18, Kickstarter is going to be live for this game by David Tersey and Nerly Lover. So let's start, let's start with uh, how he plays. Uh, this is a tile plays main game, of course. I already told you that like multiple times. One of my favorite things of the game is as a part of the setup, everybody is going to get... Like, uh, you know, it's almost, I imagine, like an iPad, uh, you know, frame. It's basically a frame that you're going to sit in front of you, and that's where you can place all the tiles that you're going to be getting during the game. Now, there's a, there's a golden rule here. All the tiles that you place, 
with their little squares, you cannot move them after you place. But the cool thing here and the interesting thing that you might think, well, you know, it's a, like an iPad frame, you know, like a window frame, basically. I mean, it's just to add, uh, you know, more immersiveness on the game. No, my friends, no, <laughs> because that actual, um, you know, frame is going gonna, is gonna to allow you to move that frame during the game. So with that being said, let's, let's pretend that you put, um, you know, hear me out, like four tiles on the right side of the frame, right? Just at the border. So you get four tiles horizontally or vertically, let's say. And then later on the game, you're like, man, I should have put this one, you know, adjacent to that other tile and that way it would score me more victory points. But now I don't have a space. Well, guess what? You can manipulate that frame, moving it uh, up or, or lower or right and left to be able to feed more uh, tiles if possible. So I think that was a cool mechanic and not only put it like there, like, you know, just to to translating the, the, the app game to a board game and being like, okay, this is your... Uh, you know, your iPad frame or your device frame. No, I think it's cool that you actually are able to move it around. So that's super cool. And that's one very positive thing. How the game plays? Well, you're going to play, oh, you're going to play over five rounds per se, over five days that you're going to be doing different things. And just to give you an idea, you're going to have, uh, you know, in each round, they're going to have different rounds divided there. So first is going to be the income uh, phase where you're going to gain the amount of uh, money printed on the space you currently occupies on your finance track and you're going to gain one per uh, prisoner with two or, or three um, you know of their needs fulfilled so basically each prisoner is going to have certain needs that you have to fulfill either if it's a very dangerous prison uh, prisoner you want to make sure that you can uh, have that tile that support that dangerousness i guess of the prisoner and also you're going to have uh you know a finance track with you a tableau with a finance level of where you are and all the stuff so you're going to get uh the amount of money there all right so that's that's the first part and then it's going to be the working round which is with basically the whole game evolves because in this working round uh you're going to start with the cleanup uh phase the cleanup phase is basically you know, taking all, all, all the tiles away if, if you had previous, and then start to lay out tiles depending on the number of players. Now, if you are playing solo, and might as well talk about the solo mode here, it's going to be determined by a, uh, by a deck of AI cards. Very David Church style, but very smooth in a very smooth way in mechanics that after you play a couple of rounds, you will start to grasp it right away. You're going to reveal one of those AI cards, and let me see, I have one here, and actually it's going to tell you, you know, which tiles are are, are going to be there? So you start to to basically, um, you know, put the tiles there. Um, then, uh, then uh, you're gonna start to bid in a multiplayer game. You're gonna start to secretly bid the amount of of money that you want to spend in order to get priority on the time of your choosing tiles. Now, tiles are going to come in different colors. They're going to come in purple. They're going to come in gray. They're going to come in orange. They're going to come in blue. So depending on the number uh, on which tile you really want, you're going to bid more money there secretly. Also, there's going to be some objective cards that you're going to get during the game that you can get every round. So you're going to also bid for those. Uh, once you secretly bid, everybody reveals, and we start with that priority order. In the solo mode, after you reveal that card that will determine which tiles are going to be placed and how many tiles of them are going to be placed, then you're going to reveal another AI card, which is going to be telling you, um, you know, basically what the ai bid for example you're going to reveal one and the ai would in the one of the cards will tell 
will tell you uh, the AI uh, beat $3 on the gray, $7 on the blue, nothing on the orange, $5 on the purple, and $5 on the cards. So in that way, you, you will be losing or not. And you always have to play, you always have to pay the value uh, of, of that tile. So the tiles will also have values and they will have victory points. But you also have, you always have to bid either at least that um, price of, of the tile or above. And you, and if you pay 10 for a five tile, well, you don't get five back. So that's basically the risk of it there. Um, so that, then you're going to reveal another AI, once again, card on the solo mode just to determine which, um, you know, in which uh, tiles the AI bid. After that, after you determine that, uh, you know, the, the bidding phase, then you start to buy. Uh, you, you find the highest overall bid, and in case of a tie, you check the initiative, uh, but it doesn't change. Then resolve all bids in the category descending order and repeat until all, all bids are, are resolved, basically. And after you get your tiles, then you will start to build. You will add your new uh, your newly bought tiles to the reprison, and you may buy and place one bunk cell or one locker room at the cost. Now you're gonna oh, you're always gonna have these tiles, the bunkers and the locks available for anybody. You can buy them there. You can spend your money to buy them, and basically they will help you to accommodate more prisoners. But you know they're not as as very effective on victory points as the other ones. And after that, you're gonna uh, have also an intake which is you're going to gain any number of prisoners and you're going to take the money for those prisoners that you're taking. So you're going to be taking those prisoners, placing on your tiles, and then you will also uh, have the objective uh, phase, I guess, which is where you add two from your hand to your display or add one and discard one. Draw two medium and two hard objectives and then add any two to your hand, discarding the rest. These objectives are also going to allow you to complete victory points as you're completing these objectives. But mostly in every time that I played solo, which it was like four times, uh, you know, there was a lot of objectives as they were they were not uh, fulfilled. Also, when I played a multiplayer, there was also a lot of object objectives that they were not fulfilled. So, with that being said, just be careful when you're trying to achieve these ones because they're hard. They're hard. So, just, you know, keep it focused there. And after you resolve all this, then we go into the next phase of the round, because remember, this was the working round, which is where most of the game uh, revolves. Then we're going to have the evaluation. We don't, we're going to check the We're going to check again the prisoners, the prisoners' needs, uh, and we're going to roll uh, the one to three escape dice. This is where we roll them. And you're gonna, some of your prisoners are going to start to escape depending on the numbers of escape rolls uh, or, or results that you get. And you always going to, the ones that are escaping is obviously, obviously the most dangerous in every stack of prisoners because every tile can hold only a certain number of, a certain number of prisoners. The higher the number is going to go away. Of course, that's represent like the most dangerous, right? Like they're always looking for a way of a sh uh, shutdown redemption or something <laughs> here, at, you know, to escape. So these guys are going to escape uh, the first, uh, and then you're gonna move your prisoners up to your limit to your the re rehabilitation track, of course, where is where you're trying to to re rehabilitate all of them and then to release them. And uh, you're gonna discard you know pieces that you did never use or didn't use during that round. Uh, and then you're gonna be doing the same again five times. You're gonna go up again over these five or these four phases, which is uh, three phases, better say, which is the income round, then the working round, which it divides on all these phases: clean up, uh, the bid, the buy, the build, the intake, and the objectives, like I mentioned. And then 
uh, you're gonna go to the evaluation, which is where you're gonna be scoring points and stuff. the The game will end when um, you know after those five phases, and then you're gonna calculate your score. You're gonna turn cash into victory points. Every two dollars is gonna be a victory point. You gain victory points from the tiles, cards, and track positions. You gain uh, one victory uh, point. Uh, for every especially that you have gained, every specialist uh, you know that you were able to obtain during the game, you will uh, win. You're gonna get points for completing objectives. Uh, for uncompleted objectives, you're gonna lose some points. Um, you're gonna gain from the prisoners that you will that you were able to release. You're gonna lose points from from the prisoners that they were able to escape, and you're gonna score uh, victory points for prisoners in a hygienic or comfortable cell because they're happy to be there. They're doing their part as well, uh, and you're gonna score three victory points. Uh, instead per prisoner, uh, you know, that as well that are in these areas. And that's basically just to give you a brief idea of how the game plays. Now, once again, I know I talk a lot and I talk this, I, I think this could uh, probably sound a little bit overwhelming. There's a lot that this game has to offer, but I wanted to give you an idea or share with you an idea of how the game plays. Once again, it's a tile placement game with some cool mechanics of moving the frame around, first of all, and being able to collect these uh, prison tiles adjacent to another ones, and you're basically going to be the architect of this prison. You know, probably you can try to make a maximum security prison and just get those, uh, you know, those high cost tiles with all, all those high cost prisoners with the risk of them escaping and then losing victory points. Or you can focus on get a more neutral prison like yes i have a dangerous area there but also it's like more like a happy place here or you can try to be a happier prison where everybody is trying to rehabilitate and you know every nobody escapes and trying to you know get more victory points in that manner in that way so the game offers that you know that um i guess diversity on 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 trying to be the own architect of the prison the, the warden right the ai deck when you're playing solo or two players because that deck you use it when you're playing solo or two-player, which is something that I don't recall seeing in any other David Tercy game, where the AI deck, you use it as well in the two-player version, but I could be wrong. Anyway, the the AI, the warden, the he or she, because actually on the back on the cards, it's very cool that they offer a he or she version because we are inclusive, of course. Um, you know, he's very challenging and he's very hard and he's basically going to be trying to take tiles away from you, the ones that you potentially need for that round, taking that away. Uh, it has a very cool mechanic of basically resolving everything that the um, that the AI tile is telling you to do. And it really messes you up as you're playing the game solo or even two players as, you know, as you're planning your strategy during the game. So after we talk about how the game plays, like I said, we have a long episode ahead of ours, my friend. Let's jump and let me uh, share with you my thoughts on the game and if I'd rather play this game solo or competitive. Solo or competitive? It's an architect, solo or competitive. Oh my goodness. Once again, it's live on Kickstarter on May 18. And if you're listening, and let's say today is May 22, 23, 24, whatever, the game is already on Kickstarter. So go and check it out. Check the pictures as well in a social media, uh, you know, about the, the box, how it looks, the, how the art looks and all this stuff. Uh, and, and in that way, you can get an idea as well. Okay, prison architects, my friend. Uh, what do I think about the game? Let's start with let's start with the, with the things that I actually enjoy from the game. The mechanics. Once again, you go with David Tersey, and it's very hard that that you can go wrong. Now, when uh, with the help of Norley lovers, of, of course, and the, the designer uh, the designer aspect of Norley lovers, I guess you can see how well it bonds and how a very nice and solid product came after all, and how 
the very solid mechanics flow during the game and the enjoyment comes and play and also um, the complexity of the game is there but at the same time uh, you know some uh, easiness or accessible way that you know most of the for most of the gamers will be able to to grasp it. All right. Now this is a tile placement right off the bat. Tile placement game. I do enjoy tile placement games. I do enjoy them. And um, actually, one of my favorite games of this year it has been Overboss, which is a tile placement game on the Boss Monster universe. This one. It's completely different. Why? Because it's way more complex, way more thinking. Overboss is more about the fun and, you know, let's see what happened. You know, the art, the, the 8-bit art or pixel art is cool. This one, it's basically, hey, my friend, you have to think on which tiles you're going to beat. And you have to think carefully because also the time on the game is not going to be too much, too, too much longer, you know, it's, it's only five rounds or five phases, whatever you want to call it, so you have to really think on it, because you also have to think in other aspects, it's not like, okay, this looks cool, I'm going to get my prison like this, no, you're also going to have to think about the aspect of, of the objectives that you're trying to achieve, also the aspect of the income, you know, also the aspect of which inmates are going to escape, which inmates are going to be able to re rehabilitate, so you have all these things, you know, that you have to think about, uh, and that really push prison architect to a higher complexity level in my opinion which it could be something good actually in my case i think it's very good because when i see a david Terzi game and uh, in this case with normal lover i want to see a challenging game and this is definitely a challenging game the ai that's another positive thing of the game i think it works great i think i think it really puts you as well uh, simulating that uh, you know aspect of a physical opponent um, um, basically trying to 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 block you and basically trying to do better than you every turn so with that uh, uh, automa deck i guess if you want to call it i think also the game flows very well once again i don't recall and this is another positive thing i don't recall any other uh, David Terzi game where the automa deck is also used for the top two players. So uh, once again, this one, I wanted to throw a big disclosure there as well. All the rules that I that I talked to you and you know that I discussed briefly with you because once again, there's a lot a lot of this game has. They are prototype and normally and David are still working on the rules. So I just wanted to throw out of there. But anyway, the AI deck I think it works very good, very solid AI, which also of course as a solo gamers. We want that, and we expect that as well. Um, what else? The, the, even if this is a prototype, the, com the quality of the components is very nice. Uh, I don't think the cardboard uh, quality is going to differ too much from the final product, uh, to be honest with you. And it's very good. Of course, it's very good quality. The art on the tiles is very nice. You can see, for example, on the common room, you can see the, the little inmates over there playing some, uh, you know, some, some uh, what is it called, uh, Biller, you know, Biller, I guess is in English, <laughs> you know, it's cool, they're playing there, you have the workshop, where you have all the tools, you have the the, the wood uh, saw over there, because somebody's working on the wood, uh, you know, in the yard, you have the people on the gym over there, so it's, it's very cool, very cool art, once again, very similar to the app, and that's something that comes positive on the game as well, uh, I think, I do believe that the art, once again, when it's not based on a movie and it's based on a video game, or in this case, uh, in an app game, I do enjoy when they bring almost the same or probably the same art as the game. Uh, the size of the box, now I'm going to start to talk about size of the boxes more. 
because I'm running out of space in my game room, my friends. Uh, so I I really appreciate when a uh, when a game comes. Once again, this is not the final product, but in a 12 by 12 standard Kallax, I'm able to fit them <laughs> box because in a Kallax, where you're able to fit like what four or five games sometimes, and I really appreciate that because then you have big boxes like. Uh, the Tainted Grail, for example, boxes that it's just one cube of the Kallax. And it's like, man, I couldn't fit four games there, but now I only have the ten space for the Tainted Grail on that cube. Uh, and you you know what I mean. So uh, the size of the box is great. I hope, I really hope and wish that the final product stay, stays, the, stays with the same size, which I don't see why it will change. Uh, you know, the personal tableaus and, and the different uh, components of the game, I do enjoy them as well. The competitive, uh, the competitive aspect of the game, I actually enjoy it as well a lot. I think it's a game that is for very competitive people out there, and uh, you know, people that actually focus on trying to be competitive on the games and trying to win the game. I think those folks will really enjoy this game because this is a, it's it's a very thematic, strategic, fun, challenging tile placement game. Uh, I think it's cool. I think it's it's great for you to be able to build your own prison accordingly to your objectives, accordingly to what you're trying to achieve. I think the objective card is a very cool mechanic as well that can determine what kind of architect you want to be for this prison, right? Once again, you want to be a, you want to build a high-security prison. You want to be build more like what I call a chill-out prison, which is like more neutral, like, you know, balancing everything, or like a happy prison where everybody's going to be happy and rehabilitated. That will depend, of course, as a part of the setup, on the objective cards that you get and then the, the objectives card that you're going to be getting during the game. So I, I like that aspect of having a very diversified way to achieve uh, points and to achieve victory in the same core mechanic of the game. Um, one thing that I th- that I suspect this game is going to be a little bit down on, which is something very subjective, you know? It's replayability. Why? Because here is the thing. I'm going to share with you something. I don't have any problem with replayability at all, to be honest with you. I feel like as a gamer and as being in this hobby, sometimes we have so many games that we can have enough games right now, even if we stop buying, to to have for the rest of of our lives. You know, we have plenty of games. Uh, And still we worry about replayability as a fact of of, of a board game, from a board game, let's say. Uh, I think this game will suffer on that because once you are able to see, you know, basically, once again, with the prototype demo, uh, you know all the all the objective cards. Once you're able to see all the tiles uh, after a few games, and especially on the solo mode, I mean, you will get basically a similar game every time. Now, that doesn't mean something bad particularly for me. Once again, eh? because it's gonna be challenging every time, it's gonna be uh, difficult every time, and that's fine. I enjoy it. But for folks that they expect replayability in the aspect of like, oh my God, every game is going to feel so different. Every game is going to be completely different. It's like a new game. Well, it's not there. So I think that's one of the one of the, one of of the the few weakness of this game as a prototype version. On the other side, like I mentioned, I want to be completely clear. That's only if, that, if you're looking for that, like the, the experience of a new game every time. If you are like me, once again, that you don't mind watching your favorite movie or over and over again, but with some twists, some twists, I'm sorry, if it could be possible here or there, or, or, or like uh, playing a video game again or playing a game that it will feel the same, 
but it has some twist or some challenging that they would represent in different times, or probably in some games you will see them, some games you will not, then the replayability on this game shouldn't be something that worries you. I don't know if I was able to make myself clear, but that's what I'm trying to say. This is not a game that it will feel completely different every time, but at the same time, it will be hard, it will be challenging, and it will still be very enjoyable in my opinion. Now, do I rather play this game solo or competitive? I think this game you know, shines in both ways. I think this game, if, if, if you're a solo gamer, you will you will you should uh, give it a look if you like tile placement games now if you're a solo gamer and you have no experience with tile placement games i think this is a good way a good game as well but keep in mind that it has that complexity ish that always characterizes david tercy this is not an overboss game which is simple gateway no this is a game that you're going to go in and actually have a challenging uh, you know, a thoughtful experience. And it's going to be fun at the end of the day because you're trying to build your prison and it's cool. And they did a very good job translating the app version to the tabletop version. As a competitive game, I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I actually enjoy it a little bit more competitive than solo, to be honest with you. I think competitive, it's it's probably my go-to if I have to choose between those two. But also, if I didn't have a gaming group, and I see this game, or somebody, uh, I see this game in a convention, or somebody show me the game for some reason, I think it's a game that I will end up trying to get in my collection, because the puzzly part, and, and, and you know, the the way of, once again, of getting points, and the solo AI, how it works, I think this is a game that, that fulfill my needs as a solo gamer. So, you know, and it's something different, because usually in solo gamers, we are, or myself, like I mentioned before, I tend to go for a merry trash and campaigns and dungeons and adventures, and sometimes it's, it's good to have something different. Uh, and yes, I mean, there's a lot of euros that you can play solo at, on these days, but a tile placement, there's not a lot of tiles placement that you can play solo and that they're challenging in the same way, and I think this game feels different. I think this game feels, feels, fresh, feels fresh, I'm sorry, and that's why I think it's a good for solo gamers. On my rating from 0 to 5, where 5 is a game that I loved and 0 is a game that I didn't like at all, I will give Prison Architect to the prototype version once again a solid 4. A solid 4 out of 5. I think it's a very entertaining game. I think it's very challenging, very very fun, very uh, rewarding if you're able to win. And I think it's very thematic at the same time, which I always appreciate. Check it out because it's on Kickstarter. Probably at this time, are you listening to the episode? And I want to say it for the hundredth time. It goes live on May the 18th. There you go, Prison Architect. And la- now, let's jump into our second part of the show, which we're going to talk about Red Rising, the, the board game, and then the interview with Jamie Stepmeyer. Once again, this interview was recorded even before I got the Red Rising review copy. So I, remember, I think in the interview I mentioned, some, I mentioned something that I was going to receive the game or he mentioned something that I was going to receive the game. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to talk about the game first, then the interview, and then all for you enjoyment. So let's start with uh, the part two of this episode 94 of Solo BG Podcast. Are you looking for that Kickstarter game that you missed during the Kickstarter campaign? Are you looking for that awesome and mythic expansion for one of your favorite board games? Are you sad because you didn't got the Kickstarter version of that game? Or perhaps you are like me and like to get a game with Kickstarter exclusive components and stretch goals? Well, don't look any further and go right now to kickstartergames.com 
There you will find Kickstarter board games, expansions, Kickstarter exclusive content, graphic novels, RPG novels, toys and collectibles, and much more. Kickstarter Games is my favorite site to go and get those amazing games that I want to have on my gaming collection. Plus, they offer free shipping in the US when you spend $99 or more. And if that wasn't enough, right now you can get a 15% off if you use the code SOLOBG. That's right, use the code SOLOBG altogether and obtain 15% off from your total purchase. So go right now and check it out while you listen to this episode. Once again, www.kickstartedgames.com and enjoy all those amazing games. Alrighty, my friends. So now we are in the part two of Red, Ri- of Red Rising, of Solo BG Podcast, where we're going to talk about Red Rising, the board game designed by Jamie Stegmaier and Alexander Schmidt, and the art is by Jackie Davis, Miles Vensky, and Justin Wong, and it's based on the novels by Pierce Brown of the same title, Red Rising, which is uh, one to, um, one to uh, six-player games, age 14 euro plus, and 40 to, uh, 45 to 60 minutes. And we're going to talk about the game a little bit more in depth, of course. We're going to have the first section, which is box and cover, where we're going to talk about right now. The cover, I don't know, big disclosure here. I don't know anything about the books at all. At all, at all, at all. I haven't read the books. I don't know the art of the books. I don't know anything on the Red Rising universe. But isn't the cover beautiful? It's probably one of my um, favorite covers from Stonemaier Games so far. It's so colorful, so sci-fi-ish, so powerful, uh, so, um, you know, inviting. I really like, actually, just by looking at the cover of the game, I kind of want to read the book. So that should give you an idea. Red Rising, once again, the the box, it's uh, a 12 by 12, I will dare to say. I don't have a measured band here. I think it's a little bit smaller than the Prison Architects. This is a probably 11 by 11 or 10 by 10 box. Once again, thank you. I'm running out of space, so that's great. <laughs> 10 by 10 or 11 by 11 box so that's great and of course this is a game once again that it's based on the Red Rising uh, novel series by uh, Pierce Brown which I heard that they're very good and they're very popular and actually a lot of people enjoy them uh, so on the back of the box uh, you get Red Rising Enter the futuristic universe of Red Rising based on the book series by Pierce Brown featuring dystopian society divided into four castes. Uh, you represent a house attempting to rise power as you piece together an assortment of followers. Will you break the chains of the society or embrace the dominance of the gods? And then you're going to have the component, which is going to be a bunch of cards, tarot-sized cards. Uh, you're going to get influence tokens, which they're very nice. The components of the game, oof, I will tell you more about it in a little bit. You're gonna, it's going to list you all the components and also the back of the box is going to show you a display of war, what you're going to find, uh, you know, on the on the game. Now, uh, I have some main characters here. I'm assuming those are the main characters of the books, but we have Daryl, we have Ragnar, we have Orion, we have Cerebro, we have Mustang, we have Mickey, we, we have Eevee, and we have EO or EO or EO. <laughs> I guess it's the same. All right. And this is, once again, a, publi- a game publisher by Stonemaier Games, by Automa Factory. Of course, we have the solo player uh, mode. And let me tell you what do we find inside the box. I will tell you how it plays. Then I will tell you my thoughts of the game. And then Jamie Segmeyer is going to be in the show. 
Inside the box. Alrighty, my friends. So we are inside the box. We have uh, first uh, the rule book, which is a very nice, uh, what is it? Eight double-sided pages rule book. Very good quality. The same quality. If you own Wingspan or if you have seen the rule book of Wingspan, very good quality. Just as a good quality of paper on, on, I don't know which paper he used. And I should ask him on an interview, which I didn't. Uh, you know, same quality as a, a Scythe, which is great. Um, then you have the two Automam which is the solar rules for red rising. Very simple. It's just a four double-sided pages on how you're going to play the game. Then you have the board, the main board, which is going to have a track for, I guess, the fleet track. And then you're going to have the institute uh, area where you're going to put your influence tokens. You're going to have the different, uh, I guess, houses or factions, Jupiter, Mars, Luna, and the institute. And then you're going to have a space for the fox, which I think is from the uh, Mars faction. And that's a very cool, this is a very cool container. I'm going to move it here on the microphone. Oof, that was too loud. Um, this is a very cool container with some uh, influence tokens, which they are holding there, and that's great. It just looks fantastic on the table. I have to say, actually, that it was sent to me, this review copy, you know, the normal retail version, which I think is great. I started to saw some videos on the deluxe edition, I guess. And actually, people are preferring this one versus the other one. So I'm happy I got it. You're going to get a bunch of tarot cards with the different factions that you... Or the, the 14 uh, casts that you're going to be playing with. You're going to have the tiles for each faction or, or each, uh, I guess, house that you want to choose with. You're going to have the solo AI. And for every player, the, fact, the tokens... Uh, the first player token, uh, the Luna Institute or Luna uh, Faction token, and the dice that is going to be basically determining, uh, you know, well, uh, where are you going on the game? Uh, with that being said, these are the components, very basic components, because um, it's, it's just a game that doesn't need too much uh, in order to offer what it offers. So with that being said, let me tell you, let me tell you how the game plays, an idea of the game plays, then I'm going to share my thoughts with you, and then... Once again, I already said it multiple times with my friend Jamie Stegmeyer. Gameplay! Alrighty, my friends. So let's talk about how Red Rising plays. This is a very simple game. I dare to say that this is even more simpler than uh, Wingspan. I dare to say that this is the most simpler game from Stonemeyer games. And you know, when 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 you when I hear that and when I, you know when you probably hear that as well, you start to think, well, hold on a minute there. You have Viticulture, you have Scythe, you have these fantastic games, Epic Games, Tapestry, and you're telling me this is a simple game? Yes, indeed it is. It's probably the most simple game, but it doesn't mean anything. And and just hold on a minute. Let me, let me explain you. So as a part of the setup, you're going to start giving cards to every player, um, you know, and you're going to choose factions. You're going to get five cards, uh, you know, and that will be your starting hand. And your starting hand could be five cards. Then as the game keeps going, you can, you're going to get more cards to do combos and stuff with those cards. But be careful because at the end of the game, the, the, uh, if every card that you have on your, on your hand, that is that, you know, more than the, your seven card, is going to cost you victory points as well. You're going to start with some influence um, tokens on the Institute because also you're going to get points from that. And I want to tell you a little bit more. And you're going to start each um, each uh, player on the zero track on the fleet track there, on the zero number of the flat fleet track, I'm sorry. And you're going to start with uh, two cards or two character cards 
on each of the different places. Uh, once again, Jupiter, Mars, um, you also have Luna and the Institute there. So on your turn, what are you going to do? Well, you can have two options and that's it. Just two options that you can do in your turn. You can lead or you can scout. If you decide to lead, basically what you're going to do is select a card from your hand and you're going to deploy it face up in any location covering the previous card that is there except the color of the card and the the victory points that it gives so let's say uh, it's my turn i decide to play one of my cards on top of the on the luna uh, area you know i, I start to play a card there the place a card there and i just put it on top of the one that is behind right and i trigger the deployment effect and that's it then then you grab another card uh well you have the option to either you gain the top card from another location. Of course, you cannot grab the same card that you played. You're gonna grab another card from another location, or you can gain the top card of the deck of all the face down cards that are there, and then you're gonna roll the red rising dice and gain the bonus of the of the resulting bonus that that die is gonna give you. It can give you some influence tokens, or it can determine uh, one of the different four colors or of the basically the faction boards. If it's Jupiter, well, then you're going to advance one on the fleet track. If it's Mars, well, you're going to get some influence token. If it's Luna, you're going to get the Luna token, which scores victory points. I believe 10 victory points at the end of the game. And if it's the Institute, you can you uh, get to add one of your influence tokens to the Institute that they also going to give you victory points at the end of the game. That's if you lead. If you decide to scout, then... You just reveal the top card of the, of the main deck and place it, which is not deploying, on any of the other cards there. Uh, and then you're going to gain that location bonus. So that could be another way, of course, that if you're going to advance on the fleet track, if you want to advance on the fleet track, well, you just draw a card, place it on that, on that fleet uh, area, and you don't get the bonus from deploying the card. You don't get another card either, but you get the bonus from advancing there. So if that makes sense. So you have all those two options uh, during your turn, and that's it. The other player on the left keeps going. And, and you know, as you are reviewing on your cards, well, the cards will have, uh, of course, a color first. Uh, you're going to have victory points. You're going to have a, a, a name on the card, which is the characters of the novels. Then you're also going to have a banner on the card, which is going to be telling you uh, which card, which color of a card that card wants to be with, or could be the opposite that the card doesn't want to be with blue and it will tell you a cross in blue color in that way you don't you try not to put it together uh, also it's going to have a deploy effect each card which basically once again as you lead and you deploy it you're going to resolve that effect and also it's going to have a late or end game victory points scenario which is going to say for example on the mickey the card which is a purple card that automatically gives you 15 victory point um you know it's going to give you 10 points if there is at least one banish uh, red card because you're able to banish card during the game or if you have that card paired with a goal 10 points at the end of the game or for example martyr is going to have is going to be another type of card which is a white card um, he's going to give you 15 15 victory points out of the bat instead of a deploying action that card has a defense uh, if, for example if an opponent tries to take uh, the sober the sovereign token from you which is the token that gives you uh, 10 victory points well you can show that card reveal it to block as a defense and then also it's going to have an end of the game ability which um, basically if you have that token uh, you get another card 
from the March area or the Mar the March faction on the board to your hand, and that happens at the end of the game. Uh, once again, every location is going to have a uh, bonus. Once again, like I mentioned, Jupiter will allow you to advance on the flight track. Mars, you're going to gain one helium token, which you you're unlimited to get those helium tokens. I call them influence tokens before. There's influence tokens that you put in the Institute and helium tokens that Mars give you or some other cards give you, and you can get as many as you want. And they are also victory points at the end of the game. You can go to Luna and you get the bonus of getting the Sovereign token. Um, this uh, will trigger the bonus on your house tile. And you can go to the, uh, to the Institute to place uh, one of your influence tokens. Now, if you don't want to go to any of these locations for the lead action, you can also go to the deck, which, once again, like I told you, is not a location. You just draw a card, place it, and you roll the red uh, rising die. Uh, and basically, you get the bonus that the Rising Die can give you. One bonus could be nothing, uh, which is banish the top card of a location of your choice. So like I mentioned with with the Mickey, uh, probably if you roll the dice and you get to banish one card, well, you can banish one red, and that way he can give you 10 victory points at the end of the game. You can also have a symbol of the, that is going to be able to reveal the top card of the deck and place it on any location. Uh, you can gain an Helium, you can advance the fleet, gain the Sovereign token or paint one influence uh uh, token as well on the institute, and that's it. You're gonna keep you're gonna keep playing until uh, three conditions are met. Uh, you know by any combination of players, or when uh, two conditions are met by the same player. And these conditions are: if a player has more has seven or more helium tokens, if a player has seven or more influence on the institute, or if a, a player reaches or surpasses the seven on the fleet track. And when that's it, then you start to score points. Uh, how you score points? Well, first you're going to trigger end-of-the-game abilities that you got on your cards. Then you're going to get the character score values. Uh, then you're going to get the character's combo values, and uh, you know the ones that you trigger if you have them paired with certain cards. Then you're going to get victory points according to where you are on the fleet track. You're going to gain three points uh, for every helium token that Mars gives you. And if you, are, if you ended up with a sovereignty uh, token which you get it in Luna, you will get 10 victory points at the end of the game. Now, the influence um, that you're going to get on the Institute is just depending on how many influence tokens you get there. Uh, you know, whoever has the more uh, influence tokens, they will multiply their influence token by four. Um, then the next player will do it by two. Then the last player will do it by one. Uh, once again, you're gonna ha you're gonna, if you end with more than seven cards, then each card that you have on your hand is going to cause you victory points. It's going to cost you... 10 victory points for each card. So be careful on that because you can lose a lot of points there. That's regarding the competitive mode. Regarding the solo mode, you're going to have an AI deck which is going to be determining you what the AI does. But uh, the interesting here is that the, a the AI goes two rounds in, you know, consecutive, two rounds. So he will draw one card, he will resolve that card, and then he will draw another one and resolve two those two rounds, and then you go. It's playing like a two-player game. Then the game will have the same and game trigger conditions. The only difference is that uh, when you score for the automata, uh, she get, gets a base score of 70 points. That's one difference. Now, the other, two, the other thing that you will do is that you will start at the setup of the game to choose even or odd. That's it, just before to start the game. Then as you're getting cards for her, at the end of the game, you're going to start to discard cards uh, depending on what you choose as a part of the setup. If you choose odd, well, then you're going to start to discard first from the even results. You're going to get those two piles. And you're going to start to discard all those cards until you ended up with 20. And if you discard all the evens in this case, then you're going to keep going with odds. Then with those 20 cards, you're going to add those points 
to her 70. And you're going to also gain, uh, you know, if she has helium, you're going to gain helium tokens. If she has tokens on the Institute as well, you're going to gain points for that. And, um, you know, she also gained six points per matching card and three points per non-matching card. Uh, and you can adjust the difficulties when you're playing solo, uh, you know, to the high red, stain, lurker, master mic, merker, carver, or peerless scare. So, and her, the automa, I don't know if it's from the books, but it's called two automa, uh, which I'm assuming it's a character from the books or some faction or some system or whatever. Anyway, this is how it plays. Now, let me tell you what do I think about the game and if I rather play this game solo or competitive. Solo or competitive. Red Rising, my friends. Red Rising by Stonemeyer Games. This is a game, and let me sit a little bit because I actually always record standing. I think I told you this in a previous episode. Uh, let me sit here to tell you about Red Rising before we jump with my friend Jamie Stegmeyer. Red Rising is probably also the game that I have seen the most mixed reviews out there from Stonemeyer Games. There are some people that they actually love Red Rising. And then some people that they didn't enjoy it as much. Just as my friend Mark Dainty mentioned on the previous episode that he didn't enjoy Red Rising at all. Uh, once again, big disclosure, it was sent to me a preview co a review copy of this game. Um, in my opinion, here's the thing. Not knowing anything about the theme. I'm going to start with some, some thoughts on the game. I think the theme is cool without knowing the theme. I don't know anything about the novels. I don't. I don't know if they're very immersive. If, I don't. I'm. I'm assuming they're like kind of like a Hunger Games type of novels, but I think. I think the the theme, <laughs> without knowing it, I think it works well because it looks cool. The cards looks cool. The art looks cool. Uh, the combos that you can do with the cards looks cool. I don't know if they are related in reality to what they do on the books, but hey, without knowing the theme. I actually didn't mind. Uh, I, I like uh, how simple it is. I, I like that you have the two options, basically, where you can lead or scout. I like that. I think if, if they would do this game more complex, then I don't know if I would like it as much. Uh, but I think the simplicity on this game, it's a big plus for it. And I think as well that it will help uh, for some other aspects. Uh, the components, I think they're top-notch. I think... From Stone Myers, you always uh, expect something uh, with a, a very, very nice quality, and here is not the exception. You get nice quality cards. I mean, just the, the storage for the helium, it's fantastic. Uh, the, the tiles, the, the the quality of the cards, the the um, the, the cardboard um, mat, I think it's great. It's not it's it's not a huge mat. It's a very small mat, but actually it works great. Uh, the wooden tokens that you get, perfect. And once again, I I got the um, the retail version and not the collector's edition uh, uh, version per se. Uh, you know, I think the difference was that uh, on the sovereign token, it was metal. On this, on this case, it's gold hard plastic, which I think it still works very well. I think also the influence tokens they were some like kind of like chromish or goldish, which once again there were some complaints on that side because they were confusing. These are very straightforward, uh, straight colors. The cubes. Uh, you know, you get the blue, you get the red, you get the yellow, you get the green, which they, I think, I have to agree without playing with the deluxe edition. I think this edition is probably better. Um, so, so that's that. Just keep that in mind. And I think that's also a negative on the game that on the components wise, that usually when you go for a deluxe edition, for what I have seen once again, 
you expect something better. I, I it usually happens to me as well that I go to a friend's house and I see a Kickstarter game that I didn't back and now it's in retail, but they get these extra components because it was Kickstarter or the Deluxe Edition or whatever. And I want those components. In this case, after seeing videos with the Deluxe Edition, I don't want that. So I think that's a negative point for the game because usually you want the Deluxe Edition to be way more beautiful. Uh, I guess the only thing that the Deluxe Edition has is like some cards, uh, holders which they are great uh but you don't need them either so i think uh you know i mean i think the retail version is better so i think that's a negative for the game keeping in consideration once again that you want the deluxe version to be superb um the replayability on the game it's just as i mentioned on prison architect you're gonna play the game a few times you're gonna know the cards you're gonna know the combos you're gonna have your strategy for for the future but at the same time um it could be that you actually enjoy the game. And when I said about the simplistic way of the game, of how it works, I think where were these, uh, were these uh, attach very well. Why? Because there's no high value, I think, if re- if you are concerned with replayability and discovering a new game every time that you played it. I don't think that's the case. But if you don't mind just enjoying the same thing over and over, well, I think you will enjoy Red Rising. Um, because it's only a certain number of cards that once you get to know them, well, that's it, right? Like you, you get to get the strategy very well. But also the log base of shuffling can, you know, determine that the game will feel different every time. Um, and at the same time, you once again go back to the basic. That is a a simpler way. This is this this game is not a side. This game is not a viticulture where you want replayability. There, no. This is a game that it's more basic, more gateway, more 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 uh, different at the same time, but simple. Which it doesn't have anything wrong. I don't have anything wrong with simple games, but it doesn't have the that high value of replayability. Uh, regarding if I p- want to play it solo or competitive, I think right off the bat I will tell you that I prefer to play this game competitive. I think competitive shines very well. I think the sweep, uh, the sweet, the sweet spot for this one will be uh, four players, three to four players. I think is the sweet spot for this one. I tried five players and it was okay, but when I play it three or four. I got more enjoyment from it, and it seems like my friends at the table actually got more enjoy more enjoyment out of it. My wife got more enjoyment when we played three players. So, so there's that. The solo mode, um, it's 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 solid because it works, but I found it to be very easy, and and I feel that this on this with the solo mode you don't get. It's it's weird to say because I don't know the theme of the novels like enough, or almost nothing, but I feel like. If this makes sense, it feels less thematic in the solo mode versus in the competitive mode, if that makes sense. So um, the solo mode, I think, is cool. I think it helps as a training, per se. Like, okay, I mean, now I can try to see which points, whatever, which combos, get to know the cards a little bit better. But um, it, it it doesn't feel that great. So I think the game works well on a competitive mode versus solo mode. If you're strictly a solo gamer... I don't think this is a game that, you know, is needed, uh, per se, in your collection. If you have a group of friends to play with, if you can play with your significant other or with your family, then I think it's worth checking it out. Uh, From Zero to Five, where Five, it's an excellent game, top-notch once again. And Zero, it's a game that uh, I didn't like it at all. I didn't enjoy it at all. I think Red Rising, uh, in a competitive mode, has a value of 3.5. I think in the solo mode, it has a value of 3. Uh, but overall, I think a 3.5 is it's the 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 rating that I will give to this game. 
I think it's a game that is going to stay in my collection because I want to read the books. And I can tell that if you know the books, then you will like it more. I, I'm probably, I will say this, that if, if I would have knew more for the books, probably, I don't know if the, the, the rating of the game will go higher, but definitely the enjoyment on the game will be a little bit higher just because you will see the characters and you will see how they work. And I'm sure that the combos that they do had to do as well with with the novel. So th- there is. I wanted to to share my thoughts with Red Rising. I think it's worth, uh, you know, giving it a look. I think if you can play it, you know, in a friend's house or in a gaming library, you know, and I know it's hard with COVID times, I think you should give it a try. Also, I don't think the price is crazy expensive. I think their price is accessible. So I think it's worth to try it. I think it's worth, you know, to to play it. And and then uh, if you don't end up liking it, I don't I don't see any problem. I don't see you having any problem on selling it or or or, or trading it or something. Uh, I really enjoy Stonemaier products, so this game most likely will stay in my collection, just because the production is good. And once again, it's a game that I enjoy. But I want to throw it out there. Now, if you're a completely solo gamer that you don't have to play, you you don't play with anybody else. Just it's just you. Uh, then I don't think it's a game that you should, uh, you know, look into. I mean, unless you're a fan of the of the of the novels and the theme. So with that being said, uh, let's jump into Jamie Segmeyer uh, interview. I hope you enjoy it. It was very interesting. I had a blast. And then uh, I will come back here with you. In that way, uh, you know, we can say goodbye. So here it goes for all of you. Jamie Segmeyer from Stonemeyer Games in episode 94 of Solo BG Podcast. All righty, friends. So, like I told you, I'm here with my good friend Jamie. How are you, Jamie? Hey, Derek. How's it going? It's going fantastic. How is life, my friend? How is everything over there? It's going well. I, I'm in St. Louis, and uh, it's a very cold day here, but but it's a beautiful, clear day as well. So, I'm having a pretty good day. How yeah. about you? No, oh, doing fantastic. I'm actually based like. Well, I don't know if you were aware, but all of you, my friends, know that I'm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. So here is the weather actually. Good at this day. It has been a little bit chilly recently, and you know we have we having having a little bit of rain, but yeah. uh, now everything seems like it's going back to normal. So you're in in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, then, right? Yeah. So we're actually not that far. It's about a four hour drive. Usually, mm-hmm. when I used to go to Gen Con, it wasn't wasn't too far to get there. Are you excited that uh, that Gen Con might actually happen this year? I know. I I just saw the post a couple of days ago when they're gonna do the hybrid Gen Con this time. It's gonna be you know yeah. something new and exciting because. I saw at least here in the city they're gonna call they're gonna have what it's called I believe Pop Gen Con or something like that, which they're gonna have like a you know like an agreement with some local stores where I'm assuming you're gonna be able to go and get some uh, cool items from from Gen Con as well, uh, games, right. and they also gonna have the online Gen Con like they did last mm-hmm. year, and now on you know presence presential or I guess physical Gen Con as well. So are you excited? Are you coming to the city? I, I don't know yet. I, I haven't been in a couple years, mm-hmm. um, but I am intrigued by the smaller, kind of the smaller format, a little bit more intimate. Gen okay. Con is so big. There's so many people. It's a little <laughs> overwhelming for I me. Know, yeah. Um, but uh, the, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Although it does fall on a weekend. It, they moved it to mid-September. That's it correct. It falls yeah. upon a weekend where I have two other things that I might need to do. So yeah. Uh, I'm glad that they moved it back, though, because that increases the chance of more people getting the vaccine and being able to attend. I know, right? Like, for me, I was lucky enough that actually the following weekend, it's uh, uh, my wife and I weekend anniversary. So we usually travel on that uh, weekend. So I was like, oof, <laughs> good thing that it happened. <laughs> good thing that it fell at least one weekend before. And that way, you know, I don't have yeah. any excuses for not to being there. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know what? I was in St. Louis probably about a year ago. And 
Uh, oh, yeah? I, I loved it. I loved the city. I mean, we I went with a couple of friends. We went there for a, a bachelor's party, which it was more like a retreat, or a gaming retreat, let's say. Uh, uh-huh. And we rent uh, Airbnb over there, and we spent the weekend over there just playing games. Of course, Side was around playing. We were playing Side, of course. Oh, cool. As you all know, my friends, and and I don't know if you're away, Jamie, but um, uh, Side is one of my favorite games. And we will talk more about it a little bit. But uh, we were there in St. Louis, and we actually went because of this uh, taboo, I guess I would call of going to Minuton Market physically to the store. And uh, yeah, yeah. We, we had a very nice experience over them with them. Very nice people over there, you know, a uh, very charismatic team. And they were, you know, talking. They, they can talk to you about hours, of course, about the industry and board games and stuff. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I ended up spending a couple of a decent amount of money over there, but it was worth it with all the adventure and everything. So, so yeah, I really like St. Louis. Now, uh, now that was in COVID times, which, which still we are in COVID times. But I'm right. looking forward to, you know, to go to a baseball game or something over there. It seems like a very fun city. It is a good city. It is a good city. And I'm glad you went to Miniature Market. I think a lot of people think of Miniature Market as just an online retailer. But like you said, they have a, yeah. they have a very nice retail space here in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you get to go to Pieces Board Game Cafe and Bar by any chance? No, I didn't. How is it? Is it good? Okay. I have to That's go. That's like our only board game cafe. And it is an awesome board game cafe and bar. It's, it's both. And, and they... They're shut down right now because of COVID, but sure. I think they were open at this time last year, and I think they're planning on reopening in May this year. It's okay. a wonderful space. You know what? That that will be on my bucket list because I actually was talking to my wife about about two days ago, and I was telling her like, "Hey, you know what? I mean, since she is kind of starting on the board gaming hobby and all the stuff, and I mean, uh-huh. she loves side by the way too." Uh, and I was telling her like, "You know, we need to do a, a, a trip down there and you know check it out, and that way I can show you a miniature market and stuff." Because now we are in the habit that. Uh, we're lucky enough that here in Indy, there's like five different gaming stores. Uh, and yeah. we, we like to go on weekends just to, you know, browse around and see what's going on. And she usually picks games just by how they look in the box. Like, uh, for uh-huh. example, last time she picks up uh, God's Love Dinosaurs from Pandasaurus. And then the other day she picked Steam Park from Yellow. So she just likes uh-huh. to, whatever she thinks the theme it will be fun and appealing, she will go for it versus me that I try to go for more epic and immersive experiences, I guess. Right. But, but anyway, let's talk about games, Jamie, because I know um, you, you are here, of course, to talk about games. We're here to talk about life and everything. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I want to start, you know, asking like, you know, straightforward questions. And this is going to seem like a very, I guess, like the terms that we use in games, like very asymmetric interview where I'm going to be jumping all over the place. But it's because, you know, honestly, me, I consider a huge fan of uh, Stonemaier games. So I really want to throw just questions there, uh, you know, and we're going to be jumping back and over. So tell me, tell me right now. Do you have like a list like we all do top five favorite games like ever, 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 ever? I do, but it it changes. I I revisit that list once every six months. Uh So it it does change quite a bit. But I did one pretty recently. Okay. Um, And the number one, the the game that I came to number one, actually, and I use a a different criteria every time too. But this time I took all of my top 10 lists that I've made over the last few years. And I looked at the games that I had ranked one or two on any of those lists. And the top 10 lists for me, uh, you've seen my channel. Usually I pick like one specific mechanism Mm -hmm. and I pick my top 10 games uh, for that mechanism. So they're all over over the place. And I found games that had appeared more than two times at number one or number two. And those were the only games that were eligible um, for this arbitrary list that I made. Okay. And the number one game that ended up being on the list was Seven Wonders Duel. Seven I was, Wonders Duel. I love okay. that game, okay. but I was 
by how often it showed up. Have you, have you played that with your wife? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was yeah. my about two Christmas ago. Uh, that was part of the of my gifts from my wife. And Seven Wonders Rules is also. It's not. I w- I will be completely honest with you. It's not on my top ten list uh, by any means. But it's a fantastic yeah. game. And every time that I play it, it brings wonderful experience to my table and to my mind and to my joy. I guess like Marie Kondo says, right? Like gives me joy. Yeah. But, okay. So that's your number one. What about your number two? Now I'm intrigued. Number one, I'm going to pull it up here. Okay, number sure, two, go for it. Here we go. Um, number two on the list was Clank. Clank. I love Clank. Fantastic. Yeah, have you, yeah. you yeah. played Clank? Yeah, I actually, right now, I mean, uh, I play, you know, the normal game, the, the base one. I played uh-huh. that one, and I'm playing right now a legacy campaign on Clank Legacy, which is very fun, too. I love the mechanics. Uh, and, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes with legacies, it can be, I guess you have way more experience than me as a designer, but in legacies, it can be. A risky point or, um, you know, a, a very uh, dangerous point, I guess, from game mechanics-wise and game design regarding enjoyment yeah. because it can go even either going like way better time by time, but then you have some games like, uh, you know, like especially at, I tried Seafall uh, Legacy, I think it's called Seafall, and unfortunately yeah. for me, instead of going up, it started went down eventually. But with Clank Legacy, it was yeah. fantastic. And we haven't finished the campaign, but we're, I think, in game 11 or 12. So, so that's a very good game. I'm happy that you like Clank. And I actually tried a solo mode, which we will talk about solo modes in a little bit. I actually tried yeah. a solo mode with the Renegade app, and it works fantastic. I actually had a blast when I played it. That's awesome. Yeah. And one thing I think they, they did cleverly in the Clank Legacy campaign is that the board is double-sided. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's not a spoiler for anyone listening. Sure. You, you see it out of the box, the board is double-sided. So you know at some point you're going to visit the second side of the board. And I think that keeps the game kind of fresh as you move forward because you're yeah. changing one side of the board and then you just so that doesn't get old the game will say okay well in game four or whatever you flip over and play the other side and evolve that a little bit but that was really clever yeah and i don't want to spoil any, anything either but you know it has a cool uh, uh, i guess uh, surprises uh, you know as you play and as you discover more things and i don't like i said it's hard for me not to spoil because yeah. in order to describe what happened, right? But like you said, a, a huge part has to do with the double-sided uh, board. But also on each side, I guess, as you can expect, you're going to be modifying a lot of stuff. And that actually, me personally, brings me a lot of joy, especially when you're opening certain components on the game or things like that, or you're discovering stuff. It's always fantastic. You're like, oh, what's that? I want to open it. Or I want to I wanna destroy yeah. it. I want to be the one that destroys that uh, particular component. You know, it's like, I guess that's not spoiling from uh, a legacy uh, games mechanics. Right. But, uh, but, you know, if highly recommended also on my list when, when uh, if you want to try a legacy game, definitely Clank Legacy will be over there on the top. So tell me about your number three. Number three was Lords of Waterdeep, which surprised me a little bit, but I, I just, I am always excited and happy to play Lords of Waterdeep with whether it's the core game, the expansions. Yeah. What do you think? I think Lords of the Waterdeep, it can fall right now in the category of a classic worker placement game. Like one of those that even if you don't play it as often, it has, it has to be on your, on your gaming collection. I don't think, yeah. uh, you know, and here it's, it's a podcast Well, as you know, my friends, uh, we talk about every aspect of the game. We even have a section that is called Box and Cover, where I talk about the size of the box and the art of the, of the box and everything. Um, I think even the size of the box for Lord of the Water Deep is convenient and it won't throw any excuses as, uh, you know, storage spaces. Because um, that's another thing, like, for example, I have noticed, Jamie, that here in U.S., which we're very lucky and blessed that I don't hear a lot of complaints regarding the storage space for on on you know in most of the gamers uh, houses but then when you 
talk to people because I have very good friends that they listen to a podcast in Spain, uh, in England, in Denmark, um, some of them in Germany as well, in Australia. And it seems like most of the, I have never been in Europe, but that's on my bucket list. It seems that, you know, a lot of the houses over there, the problem is the space. It's so, yeah. so reduced. So sometimes, uh, you know, people struggle a little bit with the space. And that's why I like to talk in the podcast, you know, about the size of the box. In that way, people can have an idea. You know, you're not talking about, a, I don't know, like an infinity box from Anachrony, which is huge. Here you're talking about about the lovely water dip, uh, you know, very standard 12. I think it's 12 by 12 or probably even smaller uh, size of box. And, and it's great. It works great. And like I said, I think that's a classic worker placement game that everybody, if you don't own it, at least somebody on your group has to have it because it's a good game to revisit once in a while. It's just like a classic movie, you know, that you want to watch. Right. Probably most of us have watched Back to the Future many times, but you still want to watch it like once a year or something just to you know, get the excitement of it. So that's the, that's the same way I see Lords yeah. of the Waterdeep, kind of. I, I totally agree. Um, and, and I love that there is actually a pretty good digital version of it, too. Yeah. So if I can't play, if I don't have access to a, a tabletop copy or can't play a tabletop copy, I can always jump online and play a game. Would you, that's my, that, that will, I would put like an intermission here on this list. What do you think yeah. about digital versions? I know, uh, you know, Stonemaier Games now is, it's, well, not now, it's been jumping into the digital aspects also of yeah. every game, which is very convenient for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I myself, and I, I have said in the past, I'm not a huge fan of the digital version of almost anything, not only gaming. <laughs> I mean, it's everything. Like, I still get my music on vinyls, and I still like to play it, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of so soundtracks, and I want to play the soundtracks on the on the turntable while I play my games. Or I want to, yeah. uh, with movies, uh, the same thing. I still buy my Blu-rays, and doesn't matter if it's on HBO Max. Like right now, I just watched uh, the Snyder Cut, and I loved it. I just, the, the Justice League Snyder Cut, I loved it for hours. I watched it already like three times. And I, I'm, look, <laughs> I'm looking forward for the, you know, physical uh, release, yeah. which I hope it happens. So with that being said, I just put that as an example. Uh, um, how do you feel about digital, um, you know, as a gamer? Not not so much about from the company aspect. How do you feel as a gamer, right. the digital aspects of game? Do you think it's, do you, do, there, is there any digital app that you enjoy more than the physical game? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because that was, mm -hmm. for the most part, I, I love the tabletop experience. I okay. love turning off my screens and just focusing on the people and the table and the pieces that I can pick up and touch and hold. That is the experience that I want from tabletop gaming. Um, but I have found a, 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 during the pandemic that sure. I've explored digital games, digital ports a lot more than I used to, especially on Board Game Arena. Like okay. our my Board Game Night is virtual now, and we use Board Game Arena to play games together. Okay. And I have found, I made a list earlier this year of games that I actually slightly prefer in digital format than over the tabletop version. And one comes to mind in particular. I'm going to throw this one out at you and see what you think. Okay, okay. Have you played uh, Seasons? No, I haven't. I mean, physically, yes, but I haven't played it on, on digital. Oh, yeah. Well, the physical copy is fine. You know the experience of playing Seasons. Yeah. And it, it's a wonderful, beautiful game. But there are a lot of triggers that you have to remember. Mm -hmm. Like, you do one thing and it might trigger three other cards that you have or you have to pay attention to three other uh, five cards a lot of cards yep and that I, I found i played the tabletop version like two or three times and found that to be so overwhelming to remember all that information all the time that then when i revisited it on the on the digital version and the okay. game remembered all those triggers for me and made the experience maybe appreciate the game a lot more Okay. So that's one that I'll throw out there that I actually think I prefer the digital version than the tabletop version. You know what? What what, what really scares me, and I'm going to be honest with you, like I have downloaded yeah. some of the games, like you know, on the digital uh, with the digital version, 
Um, yeah. And I play them a little bit, but what really scares me is that I'm going to like it more than the physical. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm. Like, like I'm a huge fan of Raiders yeah. of the North Sea, per se. Uh, and I have the Raiders with all the expansions, and i actually a huge fan of the solo yeah. mode. Um, and it works pretty well. Uh, but then everybody's telling me, like, hey, Derek, you need to get the, the Raiders of the North Sea app from the, for the Nintendo Switch, and you need to get it for the iOS, or your, you know, and that way you can use it in any device or, or Android yeah. or whatever. Um, but I haven't just because... I'm scared, Jamie. I'm scared that I'm going <laughs> to like it and it's going to take me away from the physical copy. Uh, so be, be, besides Seasons, have you experienced any other, you know, any other game that happens the same that, you know, you tried in digital and now you're like, well, I mean, I might as well can sell that game or, or give it away or even not bring it to the table since I can just log into my board game arena account and play it there? I, I can absolutely relate to that. Uh, yeah, it, it almost prevents me from even, yeah, kind of like what you said, it prevents me from even trying certain digital games Okay. because I want so badly to play them on the tabletop. I, I don't know if I can think of any off the top of my head right now, but there, there are certain games that maybe don't even have digital implementations yet that I, I want my at least my first experience with them to be the tabletop version. Okay. Uh, the only exception to that might be that I do love that it's on a, on a full uh, full AI app, like the Lords of Waterdeep, the full uh, digital version, that it teaches you how to play the game. And so it's one more way for me to just learn how to play the game. I, I like that side of it, but I almost wish I could experience just that part of digital games. So I could just go through the tutorial and then be done with it and go over it and play the tabletop version. Sure. And while we're in here in the intermission, intermission I'm sorry, uh, and while we're yeah. going through your list, I also want to talk in that way we don't jump too much <laughs> coming back and over from an interview. Um, uh -huh. You know, I one of the things that I like and I have here like mixed mix opinions about it is games that they need the support of an app. Uh, for example, Mansions yeah. of Madness, uh, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite uh, cooperative games. Lord of the Rings, also, you know, it's basically the same game, same core mechanics, just, you know, with theme. Right. Um, with with uh, Stonemaier games, I mean, other than Side, which it has the Sidekick app, which until this point, I don't know if it's if that Sidekick app, it's also owned by Stonemaier games, or if it's an independent mm -hmm. developer that it just work with you. Um, it's independent, yeah. Well, it, it works great. It, now with the augmented reality and stuff, it's fantastic for playing solo. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I don't think in any of the Stonemaier games I have seen any game that it works the same, that you need the app either to tell you the story or, or, or to, as a, as a dungeon master, I guess, I call, I know that St Stonemaier games probably, uh, at least doesn't come to my mind, any cooperative game yet. Uh, yet. Yeah. Uh, but do you have do you have plans for those kind of things? Like, I, I'm guess I'm guessing you probably if you have you want you don't want to spoil too much yet, but have you thought about it? You know, like have a game like that with an app integration or 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 um, or jumping into the cooperative side of board gaming? Yeah, it's fine. I was actually just talking about this with someone yesterday, mm -hmm. and um, I, I kind of realized while talking about it that I when I approach game design, I think of I, I'm constantly thinking of problems in the game and how to solve them. Sure. And I have never encountered a problem at, th at this point. Mm -hmm. through my game design, game development, I've never encountered a problem that I've wanted to solve or needed to solve through an app. Okay. If I ever did, that's when I might consider it. But I, I haven't encountered that yet. The closest I probably come is uh, is scoring. Like Red Rising. We just released Red Rising. There's a perfectly fine way to score the game. That doesn't even take that long. Mm -hmm. There's a score pad in the game. But uh, we are working with a developer to create a scoring app to make it just a little bit easier for people okay, to score. Okay, that would be nice. So that is, like, it's, you don't need it. The game isn't dependent on it. But if you want it, it might make that part of the game just a little bit better. So that, that's, you know, that's a problem, a small problem, and we're solving it with, with an app. Okay, and as a gamer, 
how do you feel about the app integration on games? Because like I mentioned, yeah. there's mixed opinions about it. And I wanted to include it here since we're talking about digital aspects of a game. Um, you yeah. know, there's some, some uh, gamers that they will say, well, you know, if I'm playing something physical, I don't want to have any screen, any technology at all. It's just physical. Right. I want to feel the plastic, the wood, uh, you know, the dice, uh, the cards, the sleeves, everything. Um, so me personally, I don't mind it as long as it's, uh, you know, it brings something like I mentioned on the kind of games, you know, that it brings that immersiveness. So how do you feel as a gamer, uh, you know, in that aspect, do you like it? Do you prefer not to use it or? I, I I mean, I generally prefer to turn off screens and have screens off, but, uh, if a game does solve a problem with the app then I'm totally open to it. And I think you mentioned two fantastic examples, Mansions of Madness, Journeys in Middle Earth. I think they... The app helps you with setup because it just kind of coaches you along and says, okay, when you enter this room, now you need to find this tile and this tile, put it on the table. Very simple. Uh, Journeys in Middle Earth tracks enemy damage a little yeah. bit through the app. Mm-hmm. Um, Mansions of Madness also creates a little bit of, it does some calculations behind the scene that yeah. might be tough for you to do on your own. And so it's solving problems through the app. I, I don't mind it all that much. And they both have some nice music too. So I yeah. like that they, they play a little bit of music, thematic music in the background. I wouldn't want it for every game, but if it solves a, a problem that would be otherwise really cumbersome to yeah. play with, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I, I, feel the, I feel the same as you. The only thing that I mute the music because I put my own music. <laughs> oh, because you got your vinyl on. I put my vinyl there. Yeah, I'm, I'm old school, Jamie. But anyway, let's keep going with your list and that way we can have more conversations for, you know, on the hobby. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess we have two more on the list. Okay. Um, the next game I had up a second ago, uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Ah, okay, okay. I haven't yeah. tried that one yet, actually. That's one that, I mean, you were talking about big boxes and small boxes, and okay. that's one that was on Kickstarter fairly recently with a new big version. That's true, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And how did I'm the, excited to get that, yeah. Did you, did you went for the all-in, I'm assuming, and the big box and everything? I didn't, well, I, I kind of went all-in. There was a... Uh, a pledge level that, w- that made a, a jumbo version of the game, okay. and I didn't feel that I needed that. I, I just wanted the, a nice version of the game, so I, I just backed for a nice version. Of I it. remember that big um, version about yeah. it. It looks pretty. Yeah. It looks pretty pretty cool. It does look pretty. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know if I have a table that big for it though. Which one, now that we're talking about these kind of games, and I remember the art, you know, um, one yeah. of one of the things, Jamie, and this is a, a, a I, w- I would like to know your opinion about it. You know, yep. talking about Euro games. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, I mean, it's, it's crazy how the other day I was reading a post about the languages that we, the board, the board gamers use, right? Like we use the Ameritrash yeah. and the Euro and Asymmetric right. and Worker Placement and all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. talking about the Euro games, um, you know, I, I, I like Euro games like, like the same, at the same level that I like cooperative games, as long as two things, right? Here we focus in solo gaming. So one, right. if it has a good solo mode, and even if it doesn't have a good solo mode, as long as it brings me some kind of immersion, as long as there's a theme over there and you can have some immersion of it. And of course, if the game works well. But one of the things that I encounter with some Euros that it really throws me off is the art. I don't know why a lot of Euros, and I can remember the art on that game. Uh, like, for yeah. example, one of, my, uh, one of the, the games that my um, wife loves is Castles of Burgundy. She loves Castles uh-huh. of Burgundy. And we have just the, the first edition. But... I honestly want to stay away from that game, not because it's a bad game. I actually think the mechanics are well, and it works fantastic. It's just the art. It's so awful, like so awful. Another game that it comes to my mind, uh, Console of Four by Daniel Tassini, and I don't remember the other, um, the other designer name. 
Um, you know, it's 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 nice game, but once again, the art is kind of like I don't know if they do it on purpose for Euro games, like have that kind <laughs> of art. But then you have games that they're Euros as well, like um, and they have beautiful, beautiful art. Like for example, one of my favorite two is Black Angel, and Black Angel has a yeah. beautiful thematic art as you as the Black Angel is traveling through space and stuff. Side once right. again, no, because it's a Stone Mario game, but Side has a has yeah. a beautiful. Um, you know, art and immersiveness and, and you know, you feel like you're in that, those times of old Europe and mechs and everything. It's, it's cool, you know? So why do you think yeah. a lot of Euro games have that, uh, you know, I guess contemporary kind of oldish European art? Why do you think a lot of designers stick to that art? Um, that's a good question. I, 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 think, I think it might be a little bit of an artifact of the past, uh, mm -hmm. of 10 to 15 years ago that the, the focus on art in Euro games just wasn't there yet. Um, but I think we're seeing fewer and fewer examples of that these days. There are still examples. Sure. I mean, but, uh, between uh, Castles of Mech and Ludwig, the original version, I, I agree, the art, art direction wasn't as good as it could have been. It didn't, didn't get in the way of the game for me because I still love the theme of building a castle that feels really good and fun to me sure. to build that castle. Um, so the theme was still there. But I think, I, I think most companies have moved away from it. And I think some games that I'm sure we can think of an example of, of a more modern Euro game that has subpar art, but I bet it hasn't done as well as mm -hmm. uh, games that have a better focus on art. Like, like you mentioned Raiders of the North Sea. Shem Phillips is a great uh, uh, creative art director. He's not the artist, but he, he directs the art. I think he does a fantastic job with it. Yeah. And that makes those games more immersive and, and more fun to play. Uh, so it, it I guess it is still, but I don't have a great answer currently. <laughs> if someone came out with a Euro game today and they did not focus on the art and graphic design, that is bewildering to me. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I'm assuming as, as a, on, the, on the Jamie uh, designer side, you probably don't care too much about the art. But as a gamer side, do you, do you actually care? Because what happens to me is that in order, the first thing that I want to like from a game is how it looks on the table. Like yeah. that's, I'm a very audiovisual person, so and it happens the same. Like if I'm walking around any convention, Origins, Gen Con, you name it, and I'm walking around, and I see something cool on the table, I'm like, oh, what's that? And I go right away, like right away. Or yeah. if I go to a vendor, sometimes, and I tell my, uh, you know, my amazing friends and listeners not to do this, like the way I do it. But I'm a, uh, I call it a blind, a blind buyer. So. Just like, uh, like I talk about my wife, right? Like I go to a, a vendor's uh, spot on Gen Con and I see the nice components visualizing looks cool. I yeah. almost immediately like giving my wallet right away, you know, because <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's, the game is going to be good or not, but I want that. I, right. I, I'm a very audiovisual person. So uh, I yeah. can tell from the, your company aspect that you do care about art because I mean, the games from Stone Myers. I mean, I can throw many examples. Uh, you call it Viticulture. You call it Charterstone. Has a beautiful, you know, beauty, beautiful art. The characters of Charterstone. I love the art. Then the side, you have this immersiveness. Once again, we talk about it. Red Rising now, uh, which we're talking on this episode. It's the the art. It looks fantastic. So, um, but as a gamer, do you do you actually do you actually like you know do you get you know uh, thrown by the art or is the same as the mechanic that you as long as the game works fine, everything else doesn't matter. When you mentioned it earlier too, going into a game store with your with your wife, where she looks at the box cover and that's what draws <laughs> her in. Yeah. And whether you're shopping online or in person, I think that's the case. If I see even just a little thumbnail of, a, of an illustration for a game on Board Game Geek, mm -hmm. I, and it looks beautiful, I want to know more about it. Yeah. Uh, so I I I'm definitely that type of gamer, and it, like you said, I do try to focus on that as a publisher to draw people in through the art, the graphic design, and I I talk about it in terms of a hook. 
Okay. I like for there to be an art hook and a table presence hook as well. Uh, like with Charterstone, we included metal coins in every yeah. box of Charterstone because I I thought it would be cool to have metal coins. It's in very game. cool, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. And with, with Red Rising, which you'll soon have, you'll, yeah. you'll see in the collector's edition, there are gold. there's gold foil on many of the cards. There's yeah. um, there's, a, there's a tray that could have been a basic tray, but we shaped it in a thematic shape for the world of Red Rising. Just yeah. little things like that, I think, draw people to the table. And whether or not you're at a convention, like it, it draws me to get a game back to the table if I'm just playing at home because I, yeah. I, I get excited to see that game on the table again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Now, do you have any example or can you remember or or think about a game that visualizing, it looks pretty cool, but you didn't yeah. like it at all? Oh, I'm sure there are. What, what's one? <laughs> um, well, here's one that I can speak of fairly positively. Uh, very recently, I played uh, Praga Kaput Regni. Okay. You played it was a game that came out last year and I, I actually fairly enjoyed the game. It was maybe, a, I'm talking about it because it was maybe a little too heavy for me. I'm more of a medium weight gamer. Okay. It's a little bit too heavy, but I love the design philosophy about it. It's a very rewarding game. That feels good to me, but the art on it, I really thought like there's a lot of detail in the art. Okay. Um, just the style of art. It, it reminded me a little bit of Feudum and Orleans. Okay. But I just, I, I spent a lot of time in the game when it wasn't my turn just looking at the art and admiring the, every little small detail on the board. Yeah. Yeah. With me, have you have an example of that? Yeah, oh, yeah I have yeah. an example. I have many, but one of the yeah. most recent examples was, uh, uh, it's, I think it's called, I hope I pronounce it correctly, Yggdrasil. Or, or it's like, Yggdras a, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, that game, though, I, I haven't tried solo or, or cooperative to people, but uh, we tried it. Uh, we were four players. And I think I actually, and I had to be honest, I was boring most of the time. And I feel like that game, the art was fantastic. The theme was great. Uh, the standees, yeah. the components, everything was good. But I feel like that game has that risk of an alpha player sometimes. And not, that, uh, not necessarily that an, an alpha player means, you know, it's under intention to be the alpha player. It's just because the, the I guess, the, the right. you know, the feeling of the game. So I had an experience right. with that one, and I didn't like that at all. And I was, I was uh, disappointed because when I saw it on the table, I actually didn't never knew anything about the game until I go to a friend's house. He puts it on the table, and I start to see these three and different levels and wooden meeples and the standees and and the theme of you know about Vikings and stuff. And I was like, uh, no, it wasn't Vikings. I'm sorry, it's um, uh, Greek um, Greek mythology, language very there. But Yggdrasil, um, it yeah. was it was great the theme and everything. And when I sit and I spend like two hours just you know literally waiting for what to do on my turn, and then on my turn I was like, okay. What should I do? And they were, look, you know, do these, do that. Okay, sure. Take me there, take me there. So it was yeah. honestly like a very disappointing experience just by going by visuals. But anyway, Jamie, I'm taking too long here. Uh, oh, no, no. This is, I, I love hearing your thoughts about games. Yeah. <laughs> this is about you. So let's keep going with your list. I'm, I'm excited to hear what's next. Yeah, the last one, number five on the list was Quacks of Quenlinburg. Quacks. I love the, the push your luck aspect of it. I love the engine building, the bag building. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just have a blast with that game. Have you played? Does it have a solo mode? I'm trying to think if it has solo mode. You know what? That one I haven't played it. I have seen it many times on my gaming store. I, I, I mean, I go here to a store that I always try to, you know, to encourage people to go. It's called Game Preserve, and not that they are sponsors or anything like that. But Game Preserve uh-huh. here in Indy, they have a fantastic reward system, and you know that's another way that you can support local gaming stores. Um, but anyway, I have seen the game there, and I have actually some rewards that I need to spend. But I'm uh-huh. I, I still I'm still not sure which game I should get with my rewards. <laughs> but what, uh, definitely, uh, you know, that has been a game that has been on my, you know, radar, I guess. But I haven't tried. I haven't tried. I'm glad that you know it's on your list. That told me that I should probably pull the trigger. 
Well, do you do you like uh, Push Your Luck and do you like Orleans, which yeah. is a back building game? You know, and and Orleans, I tried it with one of my friends. Also, I don't own a copy. Uh, I tried it and I liked it a lot. One of the things I don't yeah. know, I know there's a lot of versions of Orleans, uh, you know, and there's yeah. expansions and stuff. But the one that I tried with him, I liked it a lot. But once again, we go to the same conversation that we have a little bit ago. The art, that contemporary art, and kind of mm-hmm. like once again, I don't know which version he ha- he had. Uh, but it was yeah. kind of like antique, uh, you know, right. art, like European art. And I was like, yeah. it really like, <laughs> and I'm like, why, why? I always, it's the same thing when I talk to my friends, like, if you're going to make a Euro game, why the art has to be like that? Like, make it more modern, more cool, you know? And anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have Caroline, I like it. And uh, this one I haven't, so I need to, I need to definitely put it through. So it's similar, it so works similar. It, well, it has that bag building element of, okay. of you know, Kind of like deck building, but with tokens instead. And there's a big pusher luck element. So I know that's divisive. Do you, I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about pusher luck? Do you like oh, that? I love it. Like, I love it. I love it. You, you love it. Okay. Yeah. You might have fun with it. it it's a fun game. Yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong with locking games. And sometimes okay. when you when you see some reviewers around, especially YouTube reviewers, uh, and there's some big names over there that I'm I, w- I won't throw, of course. But you know, some people mm-hmm. they, they they say like, well, no, you, this game is based a lot of in the randomness in lock. And they, they they put it in a way of as a negative thing. But for me, I right. think it's I mean, I don't have anything against. I mean, I think I- even in life we have you know bad luck, good luck. Sometimes there are some yeah. randomness situations in life as well. So I mean, I think it's I mean, come on, we're talking about a game. Even if it's a hobby and we love it, I mean, we're talking about a game, right? So I think right. I don't see anything wrong to adding luck or random. I know that some people really struggle because they want to have control of the whole situation, and right. every turn they basically want to plan every single aspect of it and they don't expect for anything to go wrong but i think part of the of the fun is you know to expect that situation to kind of throw you off of what you were planning and that way see how you can adapt or mitigate or whatever so yeah push right. i mean i don't have anything about randomness or push your log i actually uh, tend to enjoy those kind of those kind of games and come on i mean i'm a super merry trash game so the rolling dice aspect for me yeah and the re-roll and, and push it uh, you know i love it and but yeah but uh, push your luck is not something that throws me away. So I, I need to pull the trigger on that game, Jamie. I need to pull the trigger on that game. It, it sounds like you might enjoy it. The, the one deterrent is the art because the art is, it's a little goofy. It's like goofy mm-hmm. Euro art. Yeah. So that might be one uh, that might take it a step down. But I think it's worth at least trying sometime if you have the chance to try it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, not, I'm, honestly, that what I'm going to do is pull the trigger on that one. Now, when we were talking about okay. at the beginning of the list, you mentioned uh, and now we're going to go back in time, like back to the future. Um, yeah. You mentioned, well, this is the list. I've been doing a, a few lists uh, during these a couple of years or these many years, and I put the number ones, number twos to make this list. Okay. Yeah. For how many years? I mean, I want to know more as a Jamie about, ha, 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 you know, who is Jamie Stegmaier before Stonemaier Games, before the amazing hit of, I, I was going to call it blockbuster hit of, of Scythe, you know, before uh-huh. that. I mean, you know, at, at what point you get into the hobby? How did you start in the hobby? Did you start back in the day with, when it was HeroQuest? Or did you start, you know, when you were in college? I want to know about it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, you amazing listeners will want, will want to know that, you know, side of Jamie. So can you tell us more about it? Yeah. I mean, who is Jamie and how did everything start? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess a brief history of it is I, I started playing games when I was pretty young, six, seven, maybe eight years old. Okay. Playing games like, uh, like chess and Scotland Yard. Um, my I didn't play Hero Quest, but I played a game called Key to the Kingdom okay. that has a similar aesthetic that I really enjoyed. And I played some Magic back then too. Um, 
And then uh, I, I got back into, I got into modern games in my 20s with Catan and then Agricola and then Stone Age. And then it just kind of steamrolled from there okay. into a number of other games. And that was around the time that, and this whole time I've, I've been designing games. I, I designed games as a kid just for fun. And then as an adult, I started to get excited about, about trying to, to design games again. And that's how Viticulture was born back in uh, 2012. So, and what you were doing before that? Like, can I ask, like, on your professional yeah. career, were you doing some? I'm assuming you were doing something else completely too, different to board gaming. Completely different, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I had two, like, small careers before, before, board, before running Silmire Games. One was I worked at a uh, medical textbook publishing company. Okay. I don't have a medical background, but I, I have uh, a project management business background. So I worked as a project manager at this company. And then I worked um, at the university that I, I attended, Washington University in St. Louis. I worked as a, I ran kind of a facility and a staff at one of the buildings on campus there at, at WashU. Yeah, and okay. then I started working full time here. And then you know when you, now remind me of this viticulture. When you designed viticulture, did that yeah. um, on that time you were already with the idea of okay, I'm going to do my own company, my own publisher, or was it a Kickstarter? How did it happen? It it was a Kickstarter. Yeah, I, I was really I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, and so and I love the idea of Kickstarter. I, I followed Kickstarter for a few years, okay. and so I designed Viticulture specifically to put it on Kickstarter because I was just as excited about designing the game as I was about launching a Kickstarter campaign for the game. But you were, um, you already had in mind yeah. like you were going to be your own uh, you know independent publisher and everything, or you well, or you didn't know at that time yet. I did. I. I, at that point, I was just thinking about one Kickstarter. I, I didn't know if it meant that I would design other games in the future or that I would design or that I would run a publishing company. Um, it was just, we. I was like, I'll, I'll see how this goes. Um, yeah. And I ended up partnering with a friend who who helped me along the way. Uh, but it was after Viticulture that I was like, you know, I really like doing this. I want to try to do it again and try to do it better. And so I, I did it again uh, with Euphoria a little bit after that. Um, and I still, at this time, I was still working two, I was essentially working two full-time jobs. I was working for Stillmeyer Games more and more and more every week. And I was still working my full-time job at, at WashU. But now is you're completely full. I'm assuming you're completely dedicated to Stillmeyer Games, right, at this point? I mean, I'm I assuming am, because, yeah. you know, the company, there's no secret. It has been very successful. It's one of the most successful companies around the industry, uh, especially coming, I guess, from, a, in, I guess, call it like an independent you know, right. a company, if that's a correct uh, word, which I, I hope it is, and apologize if it's not. Uh, but, you it know, when, when you when you uh, think about other bigger companies like Kumin or not, or, or Fantasy Flight Games, right? And then here comes Stonemeyer's growing little by little, little by little, until not, right now is did that company that can, you know, be, you know, fighting fist to fist with any of, of those <laughs> companies. So so that's great. Now, um, once again, tell me if I'm wrong, but Viticulture was a Kickstarter, and then... Uh, side was also a Kickstarter, which it was a very successful Kickstarter. And then eventually, there's no more Kickstarters from for Stonemeyers. Now is the right. pre-order pre system uh, towards uh, Stonemeyer uh, Stonemeyer Games website. Which, by the way, if you're not a champion of Stonemeyers uh, yet, you have to do it. You have to become a champion. And I know <laughs> a lot of people are not aware, Jamie, but being a champion of Stonemeyer Games gives you a lot of benefits, special prizes every time you get, uh, you know, I guess more access to pre-orders. You also, uh, you know, get discounts and things like that, the newsletter. So if you're not a champion, please do it. I, this is, there was the, you know, uh, a little bit of information from me, but there is, I love, I love being a, champ, a champion from Stormire Games. But anyway, uh, at, at which point, Jamie, you decide, okay, I'm not going to do Kickstarters anymore, and this is going to be 
just through Stonemaier Games uh, website. Um, yeah, well, you, for, first I want to say that means a lot to me for you to say that about the champion program. Uh, so thank you for saying that. No, thank no, you no, for no, being a champion. Yeah. Um, and we decided actually after Scythe, after the Scythe Kickstarter campaign, I thought, you know, I, I, I want to try to not use Kickstarter for a while. Okay. I, I love the platform. I, I'm still a backer of many projects on Kickstarter, yeah. but I wanted to try a different way. I wanted to take all those things I learned from Kickstarter and basically instead of asking people to give me their money and then asking them to wait for a year to get the product or six months or however long, I wanted to try a method where we just made something that we thought was awesome, tested a lot, get a lot of people's opinions on it, but keep it fairly secret. Like, like keep, talk to people quietly about, sure. about what the game was yeah. and then announce it, uh, then make it and then announce it and start shipping it really soon after that. And that's what we've done ever since then. And I, I just, I, I can't I have a really hard, I, even though I still get excited about the idea of Kickstarter, mm -hmm. I have, a, I, I, I don't want to break away from that method because I love it so much that I can announce Red Rising, talk about it for a few weeks, and then start shipping it a little bit later. Right now, freight shipping is a little bit slow. I know you're in the US, and so we're still waiting for that freight yeah. shipment to arrive. But we've already made the game. Like, there isn't a long wait. You're going to get it probably in early April. And so I, I, I just love that method. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the, and we're, we're reaching towards the end of the of the interview, but that's one of the things that, um, you know, a lot of people also, when, when you know, you're in these forums and you're in, I know, you, with me and myself in the podcast and all these comments that I get, one of the situations are like sometimes the struggling part of Kickstarter is that you get this hype for the, while the campaign is there and, and, right. and of people trust with their money. And then sometimes it happens that you don't receive that product until two years after. And even even worse, sometimes you don't get updates, like monthly updates or something. And then a lot of people sort of think like, well, it's my money lost uh, if I'm going to even get this game. So I think that strategy, it's a perfect way. And I don't need to tell you, I'm pretty sure you know this, but it's an awesome way and perfect way to tackle uh, you know, those struggling aspects of when you pre-order a game. Because at the end of the day, I think as a Kickstarter, as a pre-order system. And it, it, I feel like right. that's what it is. Of course, it has some rewards, some Kickstarter exclusive sometimes, but, uh, you know, I think it's, in my opinion, I think it works great when you pre-order something and you know, okay, it's going to be a matter of four, five, six months top uh, in most of the cases that I will get my product instead of one year and a half or two. And, right. you know, and then now with COVID that it has been delaying everything around the world, well, it's even worse. But Jamie, I wanted to ask you something also before we before we close the interview, which I really appreciate. What yeah. is your input on solo modes? Because once again, we've been talking yes. about solo modes during the during the whole list, um, and this is of course solo BG podcast. And I love solo modes, and I'm, my listeners, I know that they love solo modes and cooperative. What is your input? Because I have to say, big part of my enjoyment with Scythe, it's it doesn't come so much from the competitive aspect. It comes from the solo automotive system that it has. And once again, like I mentioned with the Sidekick app, it even yeah. improves it way better. Um, I know some people, I know the Charterstone you can play in solo as well. I know Viticulture you can play it solo. I know uh, Wingspan, which is another uh, big success from Stonemaier Games and, and, and designed by the amazing Elizabeth Hargrave. Um, uh -huh. I, I know it also has that cool solo mode. So you always yeah. think about a solo mode now, every time that you're going to design a game. Uh, do you start to implement it after you saw that this big group of nerds that they play solo starts to grow, 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 <laughs> grow, grow, grow for the, in the industry? I mean, what is your input on that? Yeah, it started back um, when I was working on the first, the, really the big expansion of Viticulture, Tuscany. Okay. Uh, I was I was preparing that, and at, at the time I had 
corresponded for a long time with a backer of the original viticulture campaign, a guy named Morton Monrod Peterson. Okay. And Morton was a solo gamer. And at the time I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't really know that was even a thing. And yeah. he started talking about it, how, how he loved to play games solo. And when I was working on Tuscany, I said, Morton, you know, you, it's, I can tell how much you love solo. Do you want to try to design a solo mode for Tuscany? Mm-hmm. And that's when he created the Automa system. Okay. Uh, that, that we've seen a lot of other games now, even beyond Morton's company, Altama Factory. A lot of people throw Altamas in their games now. Yeah. It's come to kind of mean a uh, uh, an intel- a system that feels intelligent without uh, you needing to maintain a whole other player yeah. in a game, um, but still make you feel like you're playing against an intelligent opponent. And so ever since then, uh, with the exception of one game, which was a mistake, uh, I, I have... Uh, asked Morton to make a solo mode for all of our games, and I've hired him to do that. I pay him a royalty for that, and I think he does a wonderful job with it. The one exception is between two castles of Magic and Ludwig. He he struggled to come up with a solo mode, and I kind of decided to go ahead and go to print without it. And I think the game suffered as a result. I think the popularity of the game could have been a lot higher if we had gone with a solo mode out of the gate. But we were fixing that with a solo expansion, oh, so that's we will good. have a solo expansion to. Uh, well, it's a it's a expansion that includes a solo mode. For castles. That's our next product that'll come out in a few months. And do you play yeah. solo, Jamie? I know you play test your games and all this stuff many, many times, but do you actually, uh, you know, you, do you have any games that you play solo that you enjoy or you tend to be away from the solo modes as a gamer, specifically as a gamer? Yeah. As a gamer, I, I, I am a multiplayer gamer. I, I okay. very rarely play solo modes, even for our own games. I, I design and work on the, on the multiplayer systems and I trust Morton to do a great job with his team for the solo modes. I've played Viticulture solo, but I don't think I've played any of our other games solo, and I very rarely play other games solo. Is there one? So for someone like me who is who doesn't mm-hmm. play many games solo, okay. is there a uh, a multiplayer game with a solo mode that you think is worth trying? Okay, uh, I will tell you this. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course, I'm not gonna say size because that would be like right. people will start right. to think like, "Hey, what's going on here?" There's a lot of bias there, but <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna mention size. Side is good, but I'm, I won't recommend you side. But I will tell you if if you enjoy or if you like Black Angel, um, okay. it has a fantastic solo mode. And I guess cool. the um, the cherry of the cake I call it will be that I'm a huge uh, fan of uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001: Space Odyssey. And yeah, the yeah. Automa, I guess Automa, like that we're talking about, the solo mode, it's called Hall. You know, remember like the computer, uh, Hall 2000 yeah. from, from uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. So it has yeah. a very clever mechanic of, you know, you know, basically that Automa deck that it will instructing you what to do, and it makes it very challenging. And the other multiplayer game that I will also, I recommend you if you want to play, you know, a solo mode also, it's we talk about it. Raiders of the North Sea has a very uh, easy, straightforward, uh, you know, uh, very well designed solo mode, and I guess the other one will be Anachrony. Anachrony. I know it's made by David yeah. Tersey, which is big in solo modes. Right. But once again, that's a game that it, I I feel like it gets a lot of recognition from the from the multiplayer uh, group and also from the solo specifically group of right. of gamers. So there you go. I throw you three, and if you want to tr- try awesome. one of your yeah. own side now, before we ju- before we go, your favorite game from Stonemaier Games. And I know this is a probably hard question, but your fa- if you want, if you're gonna go into a new planet when they don't know or they don't know anything <laughs> about board games, they don't know, they don't even know what a board game is. So you're gonna right. take one of your games to that planet in that way. You can be like, hey guys, this is what you're gonna get with board games, but it has to right. be one of yours. It, I mean, you can take them, mm-hmm. you know, with the metal coins and neoprene mats or whatever. That's that's up to you. That's extra. But if you want, if you want to pick one of your games 
that is going to be your favorite to play on that planet for all, probably for a thousand <laughs> years, which one it will be? Wow, that is a hard. I, I love the, the the way you phrased that question. <laughs> um, uh, and let's let's assume that this other planet can learn English in an instant. So oh, they, they speak English. They speak. <laughs> they speak English. Okay, they already speak English. Um, I might so of. <laughs> I might go with Wingspan, which, as you said, is not a game that I designed. I, I was okay. very active in the development of it. But uh, Wingspan, I find, is very easy to teach. And I love the replayability in Wingspan. There's, I mean, every time I play, it is different because of the different bird cards that come out. And so I, I might go with Wingspan. But I also do really love Tapestry. I love Tapestry. Um, and my, my overall answer to this, since I'm talking to you today, yeah, sure, sure. is my answer to this question is always... My favorite game of ours of Stillmire Games to play is the one that you are most eager to play with me. Okay. So if we ever got together and play games, we'd probably play Scythe, and I'd have a blast <laughs> playing Scythe because I know how much you love Scythe. You're probably, you're probably going to. I know you love Scythe. You're probably going to win very easy, but that's okay. We can play. <laughs> we can play. So you will take Wingspan, yeah. and you know Wingspan. I think it's a fantastic game too. My wife loves it, uh, and I want to say right now, I just got the double-sided mats from um, you know from the store. Um, the neoprene mats, and yeah. once again, this is guys. Believe me when I say this is not a sponsorship. Jamie is a great person, but I mean, <laughs> I pay my <laughs> I pay my money for the mats, but they're very convenient if you can get it because they come now double sided for the yeah. uh, the expansion, the ocean. I think it's called Oceania in yeah. English. My language better, but the new expansion of side, you have the double sided mats. So in that way, if you want to play, you know, the basic game, you can get it one side. The other the other side will help you for the expansion, and they're very. They're very affordable. I mean, comparing to other uh, neoprene mats around, you know, the industry. I mean, I think they were like twelve dollars or something like that on the on the website. So check them yeah. out definitely because that's that's a huge plus. I love neoprene, um, and everything with neoprene is better. Jamie, <laughs> thank you so much for for joining us today. I know you have a very very busy, uh, you know, times right now with uh, with th this new game coming out, uh, Red Rising and with uh, more projects that are coming and you're working on it. So I really appreciate the time that you dedicate to Solo BG Podcast and to talk with me and to all our amazing listeners uh, here on this beautiful day in St. Louis and in Indianapolis, Indiana, and probably a nice evening or early morning, depending on where they're listening right now or if they're, <laughs> or if they're jogging, they're swimming or whatever. Well, right. uh, thank you, Jamie, for, for giving us a little bit of, once again, a merry condo phrase, a joy. <laughs> on these on these on these times right well thank you so much thank you for your time as well yeah this is a, a, a great chat and um yeah thank you thank you thanks for your time hope you have a great weekend yeah you too jamie all right so with that we go back to the episode okay my friend so i hope you enjoyed the episode that that i just had for you once again for prison architect the kickstarter review Red Rising and the interview with Jamie Stegmeyers. Once again, we're going to continue with this series of interviews. I will have more guests, uh, more surprises for all of you. And all I have to say, like always, please remember. For victory, go tell your friends. Till next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop.